this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 9 this morning. If you're using one of the few Bibles, it's page 895, the ninth chapter of John. Well, if you're new today, in these weeks leading up to Easter, this winter and spring, we're walking through the Gospel of John, and the name of this series is, Who is Jesus? And so, the first part of John's Gospel, the first 11 chapters, really revolve around seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus performs. So thankful for Marty doing such a great job last week and kind of walking you through the fourth and fifth signs. And today we're going to look at the sixth sign, which is found in the ninth chapter of John, seeing with new eyes. Take a copy of God's Word and we're going to read the entire ninth chapter of John this morning. The Bible says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. 
So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word today. Lord, would you speak to us by the power of your spirit, or that we might understand your word, that we might take it in, and that we might apply it in our living. Speak to us right now in these crucial, vital moments together as we hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Walt Disney was one of the world's great visionaries, and for years... He dreamed and planned and labored for the creation of Walt Disney World in Florida. Disney died about five years before Disney's grand opening in Florida in October of 1971. But when he died, a map of Florida was on the wall of his office. The plans were already there. And on that grand opening day, someone leaned over and they said to Disney's widow, Lillian, they said, it's too bad Walt couldn't be here to see this. And she said, oh, he did see it. That's why it's here. That's the power of vision. You know, our our natural tendency is to think that seeing is believing. But when it comes to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, believing is seeing. If we can believe, then we will see. Now that's one of the points that is being made in this sixth sign. So what do we see here in the text? First of all, we see the problem. 
Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This man is on the margins of society. He is an outcast. He sits and begs. The people of the neighborhood pass by him every day, just like we would pass by a fire hydrant. And just he's part of the sad tapestry of that neighborhood. But as we've seen already in the Gospel of John, Jesus sees people that other people don't see. And Jesus' heart is moved with compassion for him. Jesus knows his situation, knows that he was born blind, and his heart is, is moved in compassion toward him. Now the situation is that Jesus, immediately preceding this, has been teaching in the temple. And among other things that he says when he's in the temple that day is this. In chapter 8 and verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus speaks these words in the temple, and then he walks out of the temple area, and he sees this man whose whole life has been darkness. And what's Jesus going to do? Jesus is going to light up the dark. We live in a world where people are trying to fill the dark holes of their lives in all kinds of heartbreaking ways. They're, they're trying to fill a vacuum, to fill a darkness, of a hole in their life with things that will never ultimately satisfy, which is really what sin is. All sin ultimately is an attempt to satisfy with our, ourselves with things outside of God outside of God's will, outside of God's way, to try to, to fill a, a, a dark hole in our lives that's meant to be filled by our Creator. But instead, we try to fill it with created things, whether it's money or material things or worldly success or pornography or drugs or alcohol I mean, the list could go on and on, but really all of it is a futile attempt to, to fill up that dark hole that's meant to be filled by God and can only be filled by God. The great French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus. David says in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The second thing that we see is the purpose. Verse 2, His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born Blind. Now, the disciples are just reflecting a common belief in their culture, which was that present disability was the result of some past sin. So they believed that when people had some sort of a disability like this, that it was the result of their sin. Well, in this case, they faced a dilemma because this guy was born blind. They knew that. 
So they sort of bring his parents into it. Maybe it was his parents who sinned. There was no biblical basis for believing that disabilities came from uh, past sin. This was just something that people believed in their culture. Um, And so they say, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus essentially is going to look at his disciples and say, you guys don't have a clue what you're talking about. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, Jesus says, there's something deeper that's going on here that you guys can't see. There's a purpose in this that goes far beyond your understanding. And you're just speaking in ignorance. It's like in Job, when all these terrible things happen in Job's life. You know, he loses his kids and, and his wealth and his health and all of that. And his so-called friends come along and, and try to comfort him. And basically, they're not very much comfort. They come along and they say, hey, Job, fess up. What have you done to deserve all of this? And of course, in Job, God speaks into all of this ignorance. And, and God says to, to them, you're speaking words without knowledge. You don't know what you're talking about. There's something that's deep, deeper that's happening here that you don't understand. You know, we have to be very careful when, when people are in pain or when they're in crisis Maybe be very careful about giving pat answers to why, whatever tragic thing it is, why that happened. Let me tell you, when people, people are suffering, they don't need your pat answers. They need your prayers, and they need your love. They're not, they're not looking for or expecting us to figure out why it happened. What they need is for us to love on them. And just pray for them. So God has a deeper purpose here than what the disciples can see. And Jesus says that this has happened, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't it true that often the hardest times in our lives become a catalyst for some of the greatest things in our lives. Sometimes the most painful things, the the, the hardest things can be used by God and turned into some of the greatest things in our lives. That relational pain that you went through, that family crisis, that illness, that season of grief, that unexpected job loss, that financial setback, the the, the hardest things God can take and use as the catalyst for life-changing growth in us. And it's a growth that He uses not just to change our lives, but to equip us to minister to other people to help other people with an understanding and with an empathy and with a compassion that we would have never had before. And, and, and the valley becomes the place of greatest vision 
and spiritual growth in our lives. The purpose. Third, we see the power. Verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went, washed, and came back seeing. Most of the miracles of Jesus are preceded by a conversation with the person who's being healed. In this case, there's very little conversation, if any. It's just like Jesus has been teaching in the temple, and he says in the temple, I am the light of the world, and he walks out of the temple, sees this man whose whole existence has been darkness, and Jesus just lights up the dark. And it's, it's interesting how he does this. There were many times when Jesus healed people from blindness, when he didn't make utter anything like that. He just said the word, and their sight was restored. Boom, done. But in this case, he reaches down into the dust of the earth and makes this mud and anoints the man's eyes. I mean, what's going on here? Why, why does it happen like this? There's something happening here. What's happening? What's the point that's being made? Well, think about how God made us in the beginning. Genesis 2 tells us, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. In creation, God made human beings. From the dust. Jesus reaches down into the dust here and gives this man new eyes. Now, what's the point that's being made? The point is new creation is happening. It's about new creation. The one who made the world in the beginning, who made human beings in the beginning, from the dust of the earth, a a creation that went wrong, people that went wrong, is now remaking His creation. And as part of that, He's making new people. It's about new creation. God remaking a world that has gone wrong and he's making everything right. And as a part of that, he's making people right. The Christian writer J.R.R. Tolkien captures this in a conversation that takes place in his novel, The Return of the King. Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The biblical answer to that question is yes. Yes. God is making everything sad come untrue. He's he's making a a new creation. And these signs, these seven signs in the Gospel of John are all pointing to that. New creation is happening. The perception. Who could see it? Who couldn't? Well, we saw as we read the ninth chapter that the religious leaders take this man and interrogate him. He, instead of celebrating, they are hostile toward him. 
And so they take him aside. They've been interrogating him and so forth. You see, when new creation happens, people that are stuck in the old creation are going to have a problem with that. Now, some of you may have experienced this yourself. When you became a new creation in Christ, there were people in your life, maybe family or friends, and they just didn't understand what was going on. And they wondered about what was going on, and they maybe even resented what was going on in your life because they were still in the old creation, and you were a new creation. They're stuck in the old, and, and new creation is happening, and they didn't know what to do with that. And that's what's happening here. The religious leaders are the guardians of the status quo. They were the guardians of the old creation. And they were threatened by the new creation. The religious leaders were the guardian of their own kingdom. And now the kingdom of God was dawning. The kingdom of God was breaking into the world. And they resented that. You know, Jesus said that when, when new wine is poured into old wineskins, the old wineskins will burst. They can't handle it. And that's exactly what's going on here. And so they throw this guy out of the synagogue, which basically makes him persona non grata. And Jesus hears about it. And then Jesus seeks him out. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? See, Jesus is now going to deal with him at a deeper level than physical sight. He's already restored his physical sight. But now it's time to go deeper. It's time for an even deeper healing to take place. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite titles for Himself. It came from the prophecy of the book of Daniel, where the prophecy is that the Messiah will come again in power and glory on the clouds of heaven. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Let me tell you, the king is coming. The king is coming. And when he comes, his kingdom is going to be consummated but his kingdom has already been inaugurated. It's happening. And the key question is, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Notice here that Jesus does not ask him, do you believe things about me? It's, do you believe in me? All the difference in the world. Listen, nobody gets saved by believing certain facts about Jesus. Even if they're the right facts. That's not what saves. John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus asks here, Do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a very different thing than believing certain things about Him. To believe in Him means that you commit your life into His hands. It means that you change your mind about sin. That it's not okay to live life my own way anymore. That you change your mind about that and you turn to Jesus and you place yourself in His hands and you trust, 
trust your life and trust your eternity into his hands based on the cross and the resurrection. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Does this man believe what happens? Verse 36, he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You see, he's already seen with his eyes. But now this man sees with the eyes of his heart. It can happen. It is happening. It's happening all over the world. It's happening even in the darkest places with, with people who seem like they're in the darkest situation that you could possibly conceive of. Mossab Hassan Youssef is the author of a book entitled Son of Hamas. It's Mossab's testimony. One day in 1999, Mossab was walking past the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, where many of you have been. And a voice called out to him, What's your name? And he turned, and there was a young British man. And the man invited Mossab to a Bible study that was being held at night at the YMCA in Jerusalem, right beside the King David Hotel. And Mossab who had grown up a Muslim, uh, but had nothing to do that night and was interested. What's Christianity all about? And he found himself accepting this invitation to this Bible study. Mossab's father was the leader of Hamas, the terrorist organization. He had grown up in all of that darkness, but he found himself accepting the invitation to come to this Bible study and he went that night and he found himself thoroughly enjoying what was happening. There were about 50 people there. They were all about his age and they were from different ethnicities and religious backgrounds, but they had come together to study the Bible and they had one thing in common, love. Love. Masab just felt God's love. He could see the love that these young people had for one another. At the end of that night, one of them gave him a New Testament in Arabic. And this is what he says about it. He says, because gifts are honored and respected in Arab culture, I decided the least I could do was read it. I began at the beginning. And when I got to the Sermon on the Mount, I thought, wow. This guy, Jesus, is really impressive. Everything he says is beautiful. I couldn't put the book down. Every verse seemed to touch a deep wound in my life. Somehow, it had the power to heal my soul and give me hope. Now, that was the beginning of a six-year process in which the son of Hamas became a son of God through Jesus. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how dark your situation is. Listen, the darkness of the tomb could not contain Jesus. 
And there's nothing happening in your life that's so dark that it can overcome the light of Christ. We saw it in the prologue of John. The true light was coming into the world and it could not be overcome. The darkness could not overcome it. It cannot overcome it. And new life can happen through him. And you know why? Because one day, not long after this incident in John 9, at a place not far from where this happens, at a place not far from the Damascus Gate where that Bible was given to Masab, Jesus was going to be lifted up on a cross and all of the world's darkness was going to converge on him. All of my darkness, all of your darkness, all of our sin was going to converge on one spot in one body. And Jesus was going to take our darkness, absorb our darkness so that its power could be exhausted and forgiveness and new life could be possible for us. Do you believe in the Son of Man, the light of the world? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the new life and light that is available in Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone here today who has never believed in you. Maybe they've believed certain things about you, but never believed in you. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart today to see Jesus and to trust in him as Savior and Lord. As we just continue to bow and reflect quietly before God. Is that the prayer of your heart today? Turn to Jesus right now and trust Him. He's here. He's here. His arms are open for you. The Bible says that when we turn to Christ and trust Him that it's not something that we keep to ourselves. It says that if we've really believed in our heart we'll confess with our mouth In a few moments, we're going to stand and have a song of invitation. If you're trusting in Christ, I want to invite you to come. Just slip out from where you are. People beside you will gladly make way. Just come. I'm going to be at the front. Just share with me what God's doing in your life. We want to pray with you and come alongside and help you in beginning your journey as a disciple. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about making this church your family, your church family. We want to invite you to come today. There's a need in your life. You just need somebody to pray for you and minister to you. We invite you to come. So, Father, speak to our hearts now that you might be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, 
I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.